morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you guys. Uh, thanks, team, for leading us. Thanks uh, to the students for participating today in uh, reading scripture and prayer. Um, grateful to be here. This is going to be fun to watch. I got a little guy looking at me right here, and he's eating a donut on top of that. So, um, but uh, we are—we're grateful to be here and uh, have the opportunity to worship God today and to get into His Word together today. Uh, just a couple of things before we get into the teaching for today. Um, one uh, that we are wrapping up our 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, and we—it uh, has been—it has been a, such a gift. Uh, you usually don't hear fasting and gift in the same sentence, um, but it really has been such a gift. And <clears throat> I think one of the benefits of prayer and fasting is how it makes you more aware of what God's doing in the world. It's not that he wasn't working before you started praying and fasting. It's that you're now more sensitive to what he's doing and more, more aware. Your eyes are more open. Your ears are more attentive. And, uh, and so even this past week, I've gotten to spend some time with different people in our city um, and let me just say that I was telling this to the teenagers uh, that were back here in the room before we started. Uh, God is on the move. He is, he is working. Uh, he is saving. And uh, one of uh, this last, this yesterday, um, actually this Friday night and, and Saturday through yesterday, after, early afternoon, uh, my wife and I were with about 25 pastors and, and their spouses uh, in North Austin. And it's a part of the, the group that we are connected to called the Association of Hill Country Churches. And for the last few years, I had the, the, the gift and the privilege of getting to lead that association and um, have now taken a little bit different role uh, within that association to try to help how are we going to mobilize 40,000 missionaries and plant 200 churches over the next two decades. And so that's what we're working on. Um, it's a God-sized task, but we believe God's called us to it. And so it's not something that we just like, oh, this would be a good idea. We're like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we feel like that's what he's put on our hearts to do. And uh, as we were talking about it, one of our churches was just sharing some of the things God's been doing as they've been working with UT students. And uh, this past uh, two weeks ago, they, they baptized 17 students at UT, uh, sent out 43 to the nations for two years. And God is on the move. And uh, there's a lot of things that are happening. Yeah, praise God for that. Um, and so I was just reminded, because sometimes we talk about all the bad stuff, all the things that aren't working. Um, we, we talk about all the things that are failing and, you know, that uh, everything feels like it's getting darker. And it is getting darker, but God's still moving. He's still working. And, and he's going, going to do his, his work, and, and uh, he's going to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, the other thing is, in light of the fact that we're wrapping up the 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, it doesn't mean that we will not fast uh, anymore and we won't pray anymore. Uh, we're also in the middle of reading through the scripture in 90 days. And the conversations I've been having with some of you have been phenomenal. Like some of you have never read the Bible all the way from start to finish. So that's been cool. Uh, and some of you have not read the Bible this quick. This quick. And so it's been really fun to kind of see uh, what God's saying to us as we, as we do that. And so... Um, I say all that not to make you feel like if you're not doing it, you're like less than anybody else. That's, that's between you and God. You know, you do what God's called you to do. But the invitation has been accepted by some, and it's been really fun to watch what God's doing as he's stirring in us a fresh passion for him, for his word, to know him, to listen, to obey, to join him in his work. And so I've been thankful for that. And tomorrow night we will wrap up um, our, our Monday night worship times. And... Um, 
we're going to actually eat together um, as we are breaking our fast. And so we're going to eat a meal together and pray and, and sing and worship together. And so the Monday nights have been really encouraging um, just times of prayer together. So any of you are invited, uh, even if you haven't been fasting and praying for 21 days, you can still come um, and, and, you know, continue eating with us. Uh, so the, uh, the scripture that was read this morning was a result of kind of some working in my own heart uh, through what God wanted us to say as we sort of wrapped up this particular teaching series, Pursuing God Together. Um, and we've been talking about pursuing him through, uh, through fasting. We've been talking about pursuing God through prayer, pursuing God through his word. And, and really today, what, what I wanted to say was pursuing God in, just in all of life, um, living a life of, of worship, living a life that's fully um, committed to him, fully surrendered to him and submitted to him. And the fact is, is that we're never going to be fully, this side of heaven, fully uh, committed and surrendered to him. I, I wish I could say we, we were, but I keep finding areas of my life where I thought I was and I wasn't. Anybody been there? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Like, we can say it, but we then, we discover that there's areas we still struggle to trust God in. If we trust him fully, we would never sin. If we really believed he was everything and all that, and we never, you know, we never had doubts or never had areas where we were still human, uh, we wouldn't sin. We, we have these struggles. We have these trials. We, we still believe sometimes that there's something that's better than him, something that's greater than him, something that will satisfy more than he will or bring security or significance um, in our lives. But uh, it is him, it is him who brings the things that we need, and, uh, and we're working through that. We're learning how to trust him. We're learning how to, to turn our lives completely over to him, and that does start with a confession, but even this week it came up in a conversation. Again, salvation is a point and a process, right? It's a point where we confess Jesus, your Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the grave, and that's, that's a point of salvation, but it's a process where Paul says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You continue to learn how to trust. You learn how to live a life worthy of the gospel that we've received. And so that's a journey for each and every one of us. Um, in this passage that I want to read again uh, to us, you know, he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, be, may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I grew up in, in church. So not everybody in this room has, but I grew up in church, and I learned that in the NIV. That's how I first memorized it. And it said, you know, therefore, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice um, to God. And that's how I remember that that language being, therefore, in view. And the first word in that passage is therefore, and I'm sure if you've ever heard this, this, this uh, passage taught, everybody stops and says, you got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, right? That's the, that's the cheesy way um, of acknowledging the fact that a therefore is there because it's connecting something before with what he's about to say, right? But in that, it's a reminder um, and I think this, this passage encapsulates the Christian life. It really does encapsulate what it means uh, to be a Christ follower who is living in light of what Christ has done. Um, the way that, that um, I have to continually, continually remind myself is that the gospel is not about what we do. It's what has been done, 
right? It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. And if you don't know the book of Romans, um, it is the most incredible, amazing, and awesome uh, uh, expanded view of the gospel you can find. It, it's, it's amazing, okay? And, um, and I'm not just, you know, using those words and blowing smoke. It, it, is, it is an incredible book in the Bible. And it starts by telling us the bad news about us. Because it says that the people that God created exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the created instead of the creator. That's Romans chapter 1. It's ugly. If you read Romans chapter 1, you will go, wow, this sounds like today. It feels very, very pertinent, very um, relevant to where we are now. As we look across humanity and we see people exchanging worship for God with worship for created things, temporary stuff, right? And it, and it says, as a result, you know, that God says, okay, that's what you want to worship, and he gives them over to that, and it just creates all kinds of mess. And in Romans chapter 2, he goes to start saying, you know, that's, that's one way that people are sort of rejecting God and ignoring him, but then there's also those who are his people, the, 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 the Israelite people, and they're, they're rejecting him by, like, leaning into the law, thinking that the law is going to, you know, fix everything and is going to save them, and he just talks about how the fact that they, they can't keep the law. The law condemns them. And he brings it to a head where he gets to Romans 3.23, and he says, For all have sinned, both those who have rejected through exchanging the truth of God for a lie in that way, and those who are trying to keep the law and be real religious. He says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he begins from that point to continue to build this case that the only way that humanity is rescued is through the grace of God through the grace and the mercy of God. So when he gets to verse 1 of chapter 12, and he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, he's looking back over this entire letter that he's written to this point, saying, therefore, in view of all these amazing things that God has done, there's something that should happen, right? There's a response to that. Um, there was a guy named Pelagian back in the day, and he taught that what really needed to happen was you just teach people how to live the Christian virtues, to live out the Christian principles. And actually, he became known as, it became known as the Pelagian heresy, the Pelagius heresy, because it was the idea that you just teach people how to be moral and good based on what the, the, the Christian way of life is, but you don't have to actually put your trust in Jesus. It's just moralism, right? And I would say that for many Christians, that's kind of been their way that they've operated, is you just try to be a good person. That's how you kind of summarize that. The goal is just to be a good person. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's not what the, the teaching of the Bible points us to, is just trying to be a good person. It actually is showing us that we are called to respond to what God has done, who he is and what he's done. Um, in fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in speaking about this passage, he said, the Christian gospel is unique. It tells us, be what you are, realize what you are, and proceed to show what you are. Nowhere else in the world do we find such a message. What he's saying is it's not that we just need to follow some Christian principles and try to be better people. We, we needed to be regenerate. We needed to be made new. There was no way to just be a good person, you know, and just to follow these moral laws and teachings. We are called to be completely new. And in fact, the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ— he is a new creation, a new creature. 
If that hasn't happened, then it's actually heresy for me to stand up and say, hey, just try harder. Be better. Be a better dad. Be a better husband. Work harder in your work. Like, that's terrible. It's not pointing you to the truth of the gospel. I know people say, well, how can that be terrible to tell people to, do, to, you know, to try harder, to be good people? Because you then trust in yourself. And it's not the goal. It's not to trust in ourselves. It's to trust in Jesus. But does that mean that we should just live however we want to? No. Paul says we now live in light of what Christ has done. We live in light of who Christ is, who he was, and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Now, Paul uses an unusual way of describing what our response should be. He says living sacrifice. Now, maybe begin because you've heard that a number of times. It doesn't seem odd to you, but it is weird, isn't it? What's a living sacrifice? Because really, if you were to say it, it'd be like a living killing. And those two words don't generally go together, a living killing. But that's what Paul uses when he says the response is to present our bodies as a living killing. And when he says bodies, he's using that word because he's saying it's not just part of us that we're presenting, it's all of us that we're presenting, right? Not just our Sunday morning for a few hours, right? But our personal life, our private life, and our public life. The inside of us and the outside of us, all of us, mind, body, spirit, is to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. In fact, we know that the gospel, it, it, it requires a high bar of commitment, of faith. And in that day, they would have easily understood what it meant when they said sacrifice. Because everywhere they, were, they went, there were, people being, there, were, there were animals being sacrificed, right? It would have been a very common thing for them. They'd have seen blood everywhere. And those of you guys that are reading through the scripture with us right now, I mean, we have been in the thick of it with the sacrifices, haven't we? It's crazy the amount of sacrificing that was going on, all these different animals that were being killed to pay the penalty for the sins of the people. And these people in Paul's day would have definitely understood it. It wasn't just the Jews that had, uh, were, were presenting sacrifices. Sacrifices were happening at these temples in these pagan places all around them. This was a normal thing. But he says, a living sacrifice. Uh, you know, whenever um, Jesus called people to follow himself, he says that you have to come and die, Right? He says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Um, he said those words before he went to the cross, by the way. But they understood what the cross was. They understood it was an instrument of death. And he says that that's the kind of way you have to come, is to die to yourself. In fact, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know how many of you guys have read much of his writings, but he wrote these words. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And that's what God calls us to. In response to what he has done, dying for us, making a way for us to be forgiven and to be with God forever, he calls us to come and die to ourselves. Now, it is important that I think I say this. He's not saying here, Paul was not saying that 
the sacrifice that we make is designed to pay the penalty for our sin. He's not saying, come and sacrifice yourself so that you can make up for your bad stuff. Um, I've lived a life like that before as a Christian, where I felt like my goal was basically every time I screwed up was to make up for it with some good things. Anybody been there? And, and you just like, well, I screwed that up. I, okay, I better, I better perform better this today so that God doesn't take his love from me. And it's such a trap, but it is such a natural way that our human hearts can get us um, on this path to trying to say, well, we've we got to make up for stuff, or we've got we to get God to love us, and or we've got to keep God loving us. And so we, we try to sacrifice out of a sense of guilt and out of a sense of shame. And that's not what Paul's saying. I hope you know this and hear it loud and clear from the Holy Spirit today. Your sin, once and for all, was paid for at the cross. It was paid for at the cross. When Jesus died, it was complete forgiveness for everyone who received it. There is nothing you can do to add to what Jesus has done for you. Nothing. You can't add to his love. You can't add to his forgiveness. You can't add to that. He has given that to you as a gift. He gave it to me as a gift. I need to hear that because I keep trying to add things to it. And it's silly because you can't. It is a trap. Jesus has forgiven us for our sin. And so this sacrifice Paul's talking about isn't a sacrifice to say, okay, now you got to atone for your sin. you got to make up for it. Jesus did it, but you got to keep going. No, but Paul was talking about something that is continual, that is lifelong, that is perpetual. It is ongoing for all of our days because he says it is a living sacrifice. It's something that as long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we exist, there is something that we're going to keep doing. But he uses the word sacrifice because something is dying, right? Something has to die. Well, the question is, well, what, what is dying? And I would submit to you that what has to die in our lives is that we have to die to being in charge, that we have to, to die to being in control, that we have to die to thinking that we belong to ourselves that we have to die to this place of thinking somehow that God owes us, that we somehow can attain to a certain level of a status that he now does, he, you know, we deserve something from him. We have to die to that. And that is a process, isn't it? It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's a battle. And as I said earlier, we're going to be in this battle till the day we die, um, a physical death because we all are struggling with giving God control, with allowing him to be the one who calls the shots. And I want to drill down on that just for a second because as we say, we want to pursue God together, not in order to get God to love us, but because he's worthy, because he's already loved us. The question that I've been wrestling with, and I'm just going to confess I'm really failing miserably in right now, is Am I actually spending my time and my money and my energy in response of his, in, in view of his mercy? And I would have to say the answer is no. The answer is that many days I'm spending my time and my money and my energy based on what Nick wants to do with his life and building his kingdom. And that's just me. So don't take my conviction and add it to yourself. 
But I'm just being honest that what I've gotten out of the 21 days of prayer and fasting is that I've got a lot of growing to do in submitting my life to Christ and dying to myself. And I would say that I think that in the, the church today, we've told people you can follow Jesus but keep all your stuff and do your normal life. And I just don't see that that's biblically like, possible. I think that what we are told is that one of the identities we even take on as a Christ follower is sufferer. I don't believe in a poverty gospel that says that we have to like, if we follow Jesus, we have to like be poor. But I think we have to be poor in spirit. And we have to be submissive and surrender to Jesus. In every way. And I'm just confessing with you, to you guys I have a long way to go in this. And part of the challenge that I find is that I find in myself, this is not just about me, but by the way, (laughs) just being honest here, that there's conditions I put on my obedience. God, I'll do that if you do this. Or, I've done this, God, now you need to be doing this. (laughs) And when I stop and view God's mercy, I realize I don't deserve another thing. And what it tells me when I try to put conditions on it is I've lost sight of what Christ has done, who he is. Now, this phrase, spiritual worship, he says, you know, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is a spiritual worship. It could actually be translated true service. Uh, Some translations use reasonable act of worship. The word true, and then worship there really is the word service. So true service. And when you think about that, it helps us kind of take that word worship that can sort of be lofty at times and feel a little bit disconnected from our reality and put it a little bit more practical. Because the question is, what you worship, like is, or maybe the way to say it, not a question, but so much is what you worship is what you serve. Are you with me? And so our true service can be displayed um, in where, again, we spend our time, our money, what captures our thoughts, where our focus is with our lives. That's what we serve. We can say we serve God, but where's our money and our time and our energy? Where's our focus? That's, that's what we really serve. And in this, it helps me get a clearer picture of what I truly serve in my life when I think of, of worship in this way. Uh, I would argue that most people um, in, in our lives, you know, as, as, as human beings, we, we tend to serve again the things that are created rather than the creator. And so some people say, um, well, if I only had blank, I'll be happy. Or if I could just get that job, I'll be happy. Or if I could just get married, I'd be happy. Or if I could just have a kid, I'd be happy. Or whatever you fill in the blank with. But we have a way in our lives of trying to seek things that are created by God, even gifts from him rather than him. And we begin to serve them. So we might say thing, a person gives me what I need. A job gives me what I need. An experience or accomplishment gives me what I need. 
But anybody who's lived many times rotating around the sun <laughs> understands that every time you get those things, they don't give you what you need. They fall short. But we find ourselves in the trap time and time again of serving things that never satisfy. And here's what I've learned. The things that you serve will consume you. They will consume you. Uh, they will consume me. And so the things that we actually uh, serve, they begin to, to overwhelm us, to overtake us. Um, and by the way, another way that I've discovered to like sort of unearth what it is I'm really serving is if that thing is taken away from me, I freak out. If that thing is messed with in some form, I freak out. And that tells me what I really care about. Um, and so this idea of true service, can I just submit to you that the only thing, the only one you can serve that will give you life is God. Everything else that you serve that's not God will take life from you. It will not give you life. And that's the way it works. Paul goes on to say in the second verse here, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. What's the world's pattern? Well, I've already listed it from Romans. It's the pattern of rebellion, pursuing to worship God and it through the created things, or it's religion. Yes, religion can actually, can actually be a pattern that we get conformed to that doesn't actually lead us to Jesus. We see this in the prodigal son story, don't we? We see the prodigal son pursuing rebellion and going off and trying to find his happiness in the world, but we also see the older brother who's self-righteous and thinks he deserves the father's love and is angry when his brother, his younger brother repents and won't even go into the party for that matter. One lost in rebellion, one lost in religion. We could talk about this a lot of different ways. Um, but without question, that's a pattern that's in the human heart of saying, I don't want to be saved, I don't need to be saved, or I can save myself. But he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. And I think some of you guys, again, are familiar with this passage. That's the word metamorphosis there. It's like this, this I, the idea that we get that from, um, you know, like a, a tadpole becoming a, a, a frog. Like, that's a, a complete change. It's, a, it's a, a, a total change in that. That's a work of God. We need to be changed. We need to be moved from what we are to what God's called us to be. And ultimately, what he's called us to be is to look more and more like Jesus, right? Not to be Jesus, by the way. Nobody in here can be Jesus. But to be like Jesus. That's what God is calling us to because he's the most human we could ever be. And in being like our Savior Jesus, being transformed like him, we will, we will find the joy and the peace and the hope and the satisfaction that we long for. Um, God does the changing, but we have to show up, right? And he says, how are you changed? He says, you're changed by the renewing of your mind. That just simply means this. We need to think out the gospel and the implications for all of life. What are the implications of what we actually believe? 
And how does that affect every area of our life? How does the gospel shape your parenting? How does the gospel shape your singleness and the decisions you're making about your being a college student or being a young adult in a professional career? How does, how does the gospel shape those things? The, God has something to say about those things. The gospel actually has an impact on all those things. We could, we could sit down and talk through each one of those. But we need to renew our minds and that means, as we've been talking about over this past week, we need to fill our minds with the Word of God, the truth of God. Who God is, what He has done, who we really are, <laughs> and who we are without Him. Um, there's just a few implications if we actually lived in light of what this verse is calling us to today. These two verses here. Um, it, it reminds us that the true problem that we all have is that we have taken our eyes off God and we've forgotten his mercy. We've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten what he's done. Uh, we call that gospel amnesia here. And I have it on a daily basis because I forget what God has done for me and how he's rescued me and how he saved me, what Jesus has done. And not just for me, but for all of us. So that does mean the great thing is, is when I'm struggling with anxiety and fear and doubts, when I'm struggling with worshiping other things and finding them empty, then I know the answer. I know the solution. It's to come back to Jesus, to put my eyes on him and to have him help me. Interestingly, the more that I read authors who are dead, who are theologians and who have been like gone for a long time, the more I keep finding that, they, that they're saying the same thing over and over and over. And you know what they're saying? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. If they were, if they were spirit-filled men of the word, they keep coming back, which is interesting because that's exactly what the, the apostles say, right? Is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. We are more sinful than we can imagine and worthy of God's eternal wrath. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, saved us. That's the core and if I move away from that, everything starts to fall apart. Thankfully, God has gifted us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to remind us of that truth. To remind us of the gospel, to remind us of his grace, to remind us of his mercy, to remind us of his now empowering presence in us. That we were once enemies, but now we're sons and daughters. We've been adopted. We've been brought in. So, we know uh, what the problem is, and we know what the solution is. It also means now, in light of this, um, did you, you, you notice the very end of that, that verse, that second verse, he says, then you will be able to walk in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anybody want to know what God's will is? I hear people all the time, like, what's God's will for me? What am I supposed to be doing? And we tend to treat God's will like it's uh, a needle in a haystack. You know, it's like we just got to find a needle in a haystack. You know what? Here's God's will for you. Live in light of the mercy you've received. Live in light. I, you're like, oh, that's so easy. Like that, yes, you're just, you're, you know, it's. No, I'm serious. Live in light of the mercy you've received. When you surrender, when you submit to Jesus, you can go full board. Because your heart is surrendered and submitted to Jesus. Um, and, and he will lead you to walk in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
as you think about the gospel and the implications of the gospel, as you think about the way that he is working and, and who he has made you, 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 can, you can go in his grace and his power confident as his son or daughter. So whatever you do, in word or in action, do it all for the glory of God. That's Paul's words. He says, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. We can do our, all of these things in our life. Life will not be compartmentalized when we really put our eyes on Jesus because every aspect of our life is affected. What we do with our life. Again, the time, the money, the energy that God's gifted us with, the spiritual gifts, which by the way, this section, he didn't go into spiritual gifts right after this. And he says those gifts have been given to do what? To help us serve others. It's not just about us. It's what we're doing as we're participating in his work to serve others. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, it says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. Um, here's, here's my encouragement to you today. Uh, if you've never received the gift of salvation, if you've never received the gift of Christ's work on the cross, his death for you, my, my encouragement, my, my plea with you is that you would receive the gift of salvation today. If you've received the gift of salvation, then my, my prayer is that you would go back and you would remember what he's done and who you are in him. And then whatever we do, let's do it in view of that. Let's spend our money in view of that. Let's spend our time in view of that. And everybody's at a different place in that, I understand. Um, as I said earlier, I've got some growing to do. But everything in our life is affected. It's all worship. It's all service to God in light of what he has done to serve us and what he's done to rescue us. And the beauty is um, we don't have to walk around in shame and guilt with our heads down. And, and we just look up to our Father and we receive from him fresh mercy, fresh grace. And we walk in that. You guys alive? You awake. Is the spirit working? He he loves you. Like we get to we get to be his kids. We get to we get to carry his name. Um, we get to be a part of his, his work in the world. Like, think about that. Father, I thank you so much for <clears throat> the gift of salvation. Thank you so much for the fact that you are teaching us to come back and look at your mercy. There's so many ways, God, that we feel like we've sacrificed for you, God, and you let us down. We did what you asked us to do. We were obedient. You, you screwed it up, God. Forgive us for being so arrogant. Forgive us, God, for forgetting what you've done. Thank you that you are God and we are not. Thank you that we can release control to you and trust you with what you've entrusted us with. God, help us as a, as a people to use our time that's really your time, to use our money, which is really your money, 
to use our energy, which is really the energy that you've given us, the very breath in our lungs. Would you help us to use it for your glory? Meaning simply, again, get rid of the churchy word glory and just simply say to use it so that people would know you, would see you, would experience you. They would be about you. And God, I pray even right now in this moment as, as you are speaking and reminding us in view of the glorious gospel, God, help us to, to live a life worthy of that. Not to prove anything to you, but just to bless you. Just to bless you because you're worthy. And uh, we, we thank you, Jesus, for being among us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in this place. And if anyone has, has not received the gift that you offer, the gift of, of forgiveness and eternal salvation, I pray today in this moment they would receive by faith that gift. So here's a call as we just respond. It's just simply to listen to what the Spirit's saying and obey. And if you've never received salvation, which is possible, you can even have been in church a long time and never received salvation, that today you'd receive that gift. And if you're a child of God, but you're still hanging on to control, clinging to being in charge, um, today I encourage you to surrender and submit. But let's listen and let's obey. And if you need prayer, uh, we'll have some of our elders available over here um, to, the, to my right, your left, um, available to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to go pray with somebody who you came with today. You don't have to come pray with an elder. We all can pray for each other. But let's pray in obedience and respond to the grace and the goodness of God together. Let's worship him as he deserves.